0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. You know, quick story for you, Jimmy. So I went to the movie theater with my girl last week and uh, we go to get popcorn, right? And uh, the guy, he goes, are you seeing air? You know, the movie Air yeah. about Nike trying to sign Michael Jordan out of college. And uh, I go, uh, oh, no, no, I want to see it, though. And he, he, he looks at me and goes, oh, because of your hoodie. And I had this Nike hoodie on, which I'm wearing right now, by the way. It just has, like, Nike, 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 a million <laughs> Nikes all over And I just laughed to myself, like, ah, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> like, you would think that we were going to see the Super Mario Brothers movie, is what we were doing right there. But... Uh, Two very, very good movies. Excellent. I would encourage everybody to check them out. Air and the Super Mario Brothers movie. Very good. We welcome in Kevin Bowen from Kevin and Query here to the show. KB, you seen any good movies lately, man? Man, the last time I was in a
2: theater was for um, Top Gun last year. My wife and I went, so no, to answer your question. But I have (laughs) heard good things about both of what you just were referencing there. Mark Dighton saw Super Mario Brothers with his, a couple of young kids, um, last week and said it was great. So, um, rainy day might be a good thing to do.
1: Man. So we're talking, when was Maverick? That was months and months ago. You don't make it out there very often, huh?
2: No, me and movie theaters. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't say that's, that's too top of mind. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a miracle to get, you know, the two-and-a-half-year-old to sit through 10 minutes of bluey. So uh, we, just, we just try to keep it in as much of a confined environment as we can. But my wife and I did go to the movie theater right here, um, off Mass Ave, Bottle Works area, really nice. Um, we did that last year for a little Maverick action, and I cannot envision myself in the movie theater for quite some time.
1: I hear you on that, man. Well, if we spin it toward the draft – What do you make of all this movement in the betting community for Bryce Young being the number one overall pick?
2: Yeah, I I think it makes a lot of sense. I've mean, i been a Bryce Young guy throughout. Um, I think, to me, he is the guy that has the most poise of any of these quarterbacks, and just looks like he's in full control when he's out there. Um, For those reasons, I like him. I I understand the weight and the durability question that you would have. That's very fair, Um, but it seems like he's going to go one and, and now, you know, how much do you believe April draft smoke, I guess would be the next question. But I was under the impression that, you know, Arizona would be the pivot point of the draft and they would kind of kick things off as the first real unknown. And now it seems like if Bryce Young goes one, that it maybe could be the Houston Texans of the first kind of pivot point of this draft.
3: Kev to that end, the conversation for the last couple of weeks with those assumptions in line was, okay, well, it's either Levis or it's Richardson for the Colts, assuming both or one of them are there at four. If we now throw the wrench into the mix of CJ Stroud potentially falling or, or being available to you, that changes everything for me, and 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 where the value would be if he's at four, or if the Cardinals come at you with an offer or a counter offer they receive from another team at three, I'd do everything in my power to go get CJ Stroud. Has that moved at all for you? The idea that if that smoke is real, if the betting markets are real, that maybe Stroud is going to be available for the Colts after all?
2: Big time. Uh, couldn't agree more, with you, Jimmy. Uh, you know, it, again, let's play it play it out. Okay, Will Anderson goes two to Houston. That means when Arizona gets on the clock, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Nancy, and Richardson are all available. So if you're the Colts, you can look at that one of two ways. You can look at it as, all right, that means two of those three names will be there when we get on the clock after Arizona's selection or whoever picks. Or you could look at it and say, we have one of those quarterbacks ranked higher than the rest. And for me, again, that would be a call of C.J. Stroud. What I think would hurt the Colts in that situation First off, you would have a lot of teams just that they can trading up, and two, and this is probably the bigger factor to weigh, Will Anderson would obviously be off the board in that scenario. He would have gone two to Houston. You know, by all accounts, Will Anderson is the cleanest defensive prospect, probably the one that Arizona would like to come away with. I think if you look at their team, you know, finding a young edge rusher makes a whole lot of sense. But if he all of a sudden is no longer there then Arizona probably isn't in this situation internally where they're saying, hey, if we trade back, we don't want to go too far back. We just want to go back one spot to four with Indy because we want to take Will Anderson. And obviously the Colts would come up and take a quarterback, so they would still get the top defensive choice and the top defensive player in this draft. But with Anderson off the board, now they might not feel as big of an urge to stay as high as possible. They might say, hey, We'll move back to six or seven if a team's going to throw in an extra, whatever, second rounder, and I'm just kind of throwing out um, you know, trade picks at this point. So there's a lot of factors to weigh into all of that. But to answer the question, Jimmy, yes, if C.J. Stroud were a factor at number three, I'd be doing everything I could to move from four to three.
1: He's Kevin Bowen from Kevin Inquiry joining us here on The Fan. How about, uh, you're talking about the top of the draft there, KB. What would you expect? If Bryce Young does go number one overall, what would you expect the Houston Texans to do?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I mean, I I probably have been more of a listener to the C.J. Stroud, Deshaun Watson agency sort of storyline than most. I, I just think that situation got real ugly real quick. David Mulligata strikes me as an agent that could potentially hold a bit of a grudge for longer. If you look at his client list, I don't think you'll find one Houston Texan on that client list, and you'll find a good amount of teams represented there. Um, You know, I could – if I were Houston, it would be hard for me to pass on Bryce Young and or C.J. Stroud. But I also could kind of understand that they are in a bit of a unique situation compared to others up there. And by others, I probably mean the Colts at four. And by that, I mean this Houston has a 12th pick this year. They also already have two first rounders next year. So if they are thinking to themselves, hey, we already have the 12th pick, if we can take a pass rusher that is a, you know, whatever, the next J.J. Watt or however you want to look at Will Anderson he's going to be a generational player for us at a really important position. And then they look at it and say, Hey, we'll just be, you know, probably in some sort of tank mode. And if not, we feel like we have enough draft ammunition to move up next year and take a quarterback. We're very patient with D'Amico Ryan's and, you know, he wants to be a defensive minded coach and he came from San Francisco where they had, you know, the best defensive player in the league last year in Nick Bosa. And so for all of those reasons, it makes sense for us to go that route. I I don't love it, but I I could understand it if I were a Houston Texan fan.
3: Kevin Bowen with us. You can follow him on Twitter at KBowen1070. KB, earlier this week when player availability was there and the offseason programs officially began, obviously that early week with a new head coach in Shane Steichen. I know that uh, DeForest Buckner had talked to the media and he mentioned that he does not like the word rebuild and i get that i mean that that everybody has their pet peeves but when you look at what this season is going to be regardless of what word you attach it does that mean that he has higher expectations for what this roster can do this year outside of you know clearly a transitional season for the team
2: um i i just think he didn't really want to admit what probably is reality Hmm. Uh, to be totally honest with you, and again, he went through this in San Francisco as a very young player. Right. Um, well, you know what I thought was particularly interesting is, you know, I I asked him the question more so like he's a veteran defensive player that's very accomplished in the league, and so I asked him this because he is that, and I and I just kind of let off with, you know, when you see Stephon Gilmore traded, and the expectation that they do take a quarterback early on you know, on paper, I know you hate the word rebuild, but on paper, you know, isn't it, you know, kind of a a, a rebuild? And, and he just, you know, really kind of offered up on his own, like, you know, I understand what Gilly, Gilmore, you know, wanted to do. And, and I've thought, you know, when the Gilmore trade happened that there could be some of a, hey, I don't want to be part of this at the age of 32. I'm year 12 and that's just not what I want to do. And, and Buckner said, you know, have had I been in year 12, he's in year eight, you know, maybe I would think a little bit differently with that. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting from Buckner, like in a way kind of admitting that, yeah, I understand what is happening here. Um, I'm in year eight. San Francisco is a great You know, team to I think look at and that the rebuild didn't take too long for them based off when Buckner was experiencing to them getting the Super Bowl. Not to say the Colts are going to be in the Super Bowl in the next couple of years, but I think Buckner's willing to kind of give it a chance, whereas Gilmore probably looked at his situation and thought, I might only have one more year at this. Uh, I'm not wasting my time with a team that, you know, could be drafted in the top 10 again next year.
1: You know, KB, what is it, UPS, that say, what can Brown do for you? You know, And I I would just apply that to the the draft where we look at it, what can the QBs do for you? What can the QBs do for the teams? If we flip that and say, what can the teams provide for the quarterbacks? So if you think about that, at the top of the draft where it's Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, if you're those guys, would you prefer to go to Carolina and what they have or to Houston and what they would offer you?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, You know, I'm just such a believer in offensive coaches, um, and I know that probably in this market people view Frank Reich in a very, I don't know, different light from an offensive mind, but I I would tend to side with having stability on that side of the ball, whereas if you have a defensive-minded head coach and you're a young QB, if and when you have success offensively, all of a sudden your offensive coordinator, your quarterback's coach could move on in a hurry, so – I think that is something that I would look at, you know, as far as personnel, I don't want to act like Carolina and or uh, Houston have great offensive personnel by any means. Uh, you know, Houston has a really good young running back and Damian Pierce, their wideout group is pretty ugly looking. Carolina's made some moves this off season to try and help out in losing DJ Moore. I probably would like their weapons, maybe a little bit more from a pass catching standpoint, but I think the overall point that you bring up, Brian, is something that we don't give enough credence to. Like you, you, you draft the quarterback. Well, then you've got to support him. You have to support him from a coaching staff standpoint. You have to support him from a personnel standpoint. Like I go back to the 2012 draft. The Colts took a generational quarterback, number one overall, the guy that everybody you know wanted since more so than any other QB has come out since Peyton Manning. And what did the Colts do? They then drafted his college tight end in the second round, (laughs) another tight end in the third round, and then traded back into the third round to take T.Y. Hilton. So they went tight end, tight end, wide out. Then they took a running back and a wide out again on day three. So, again, and that is a generational quarterback, not, you know, I don't think we're talking about anybody in this draft class in that same light. Obviously, the Colts reap great benefits from that and Andrew Luck walking in and having great success as a rookie. So for me, um, that is something I'm really, really curious about. If I were going to purely list the needs for the Colts heading into the draft in less than two weeks, cornerback would be the top non-quarterback need without question. But then when I think to myself, every roster move from here on out to the next several years needs to be about first trying to support that quarterback as best as possible – Then all of a sudden I kind of play devil's advocate and think, well, maybe you shouldn't go corner, you know, right away at at pick 35, even though purely on the depth chart, that's what you would do. So I just think overall supporting the QB is not something that we that we give enough of attention to.
3: Kevin, I wanted to get clarity for the listening audience. I know you've talked about this a little bit on Kevin and Query as well, but you mentioned in your piece earlier this week on 107.5thefan.com your your Wednesday notebook, a lot of different topics in there about Lamar Jackson and that storyline kind of getting the door closed. We've already talked a little bit about DeForest Buckner, but you mentioned that when Shane Steichen is interacting with the media or when, he, when he's just having conversations in general, whether it's one-on-ones or whatever the situation is, you feel like he's very concise and he's clear about things. So far, when I've heard Shane Steichen speak, obviously I'm not on the beat like you are, but but I hear the snippets, I hear the sound bites, I hear phrases like the separations and the preparation and make me think, okay, mm-hmm. that's coach speak one-on-one, that's great. But clearly, with the more in-depth conversations you've had, there's not a lot of beating around the bush at things. How is that different from past regimes when you've been on the beat? And, and what can, I guess, Colts fans expect those that, you know, watch every second of press conferences, the Monday after a game.
2: Yeah. He's easily the most direct, concise communicator that I have covered, you know, here in in Indy, which, you know, covered the end of the Caldwell era into Chuck into Frank. And I mean, I I guess we call it a Jeff Saturday era as well. (laughs) Um, So that to me is abundantly clear. Um, You know, the comparison that I've made is like, okay, Nick Sirianni emotion is on one end of the spectrum. Frank Reich emotion is on the other end. I think if Sirianni's at a hundred and Frank's at a zero, I think Shane Sykin is a little bit more like in the 60, 70 range. He he is kind of a combination of the, of the two, but I think he's going to be a little bit more fiery than Frank would have been or, or, or Frank was. Um, you know, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, you know, all of those guys, Jalen Hurts, all those guys speak really highly of his ability to communicate within that Eagles offense. So you know, I think that is something to note as well. Um, I, I just feel like, you know, when you have the age groups that are in the NFL, and, I mean, hell, this goes for a lot of us, and, and Jimmy, you are squarely in that age group. I mean, attention spans are not long. So <laughs> I think being – Hey, hey, that wasn't meant as a shot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I
3: think. What'd you say? I didn't uh, hear you. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Well played by you. Thanks.
2: Um, being as direct and concise as a communicator as you can, I think, is very important. And so that makes sense to me. Um, you know, I, I, I said this earlier today, and I know this is not exactly what you were asking, but it's Shane Steichen related. You know, I don't feel overly confident. Comp- Let's say Bryce Young goes and C.J. Stroud goes before the Colts. I don't feel overly confident about Will Levis and or Anthony Richardson. I mean, you know this, Jimmy, full well. Last summer, I wanted Benedict Matherin more than anything for the Patriots. Yeah. You know, I was standing on a table for it, and, and I don't have that same conviction towards one of those two quarterbacks I mentioned. What I do have pretty strong conviction about, I I do believe in Shane Sykin, and I, and I do believe that his quarterback resume should make Colts fans feel pretty excited about the direction that they do decide to go. And if Shane Steichen has identified someone that he feels confident is worthy of that pick, I think that, you know, he's kind of earned the right to have that, that trust. Now, again, as we've talked about throughout this interview, there are a ton of other factors that you have to do to try and support that guy and nothing is a slam dunk until you get him into this environment but I do think, based off the different styles and shapes and sizes of quarterbacks he's worked with, that would give me some
1: confidence. KB, you're the man. Anything crazy going on this weekend?
2: Oh boy, crazy and weekends. Thankfully, exited the uh, the brain a long time ago. Um, unless the bachelor party pops up on the radar every now and again so not a whole lot i think we could be looking at a zoo morning tomorrow my niece's soccer game i gotta get some mulch so at some point we gotta (laughs) cover that um but yeah there is uh yeah uh nothing nothing too
1: crazy boring as hell to be honest (laughs) i I do i like the story though the story sounds fantastic i love that yeah, well, hey, if Mulch ends up being on the agenda, man, I hope that spruces up the weekend right there. I hope it's uh, <laughs> fantastic there. Uh, well, KB, thanks for the time, man. Hope you have a great weekend, bud. Thanks, Kev. All right, boys. Have a good one. Thank you. All right, thank you. There he is, Kevin Bowen. Kevin and Query. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Eric Froton from NBC Sports. This is a great job. He's their lead college football draft analyst. And uh, I hear you do a great job betting college football as well, Eric. Is that on the resume officially?
0: You may have heard correctly.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) Um,
0: (laughs) I I actually specialize in college football player props, which is an emerging marketplace. Uh, I think you guys can do that in Indiana, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, we
1: absolutely can. You know what, Eric? I'll tell you what. They need to change this immediately, that quarterbacks running the ball. You know exactly what I'm going to say. They get penalized for sack yardage. Do you realize how much that sucks? Do you play it the other way where you kind of will take the under on a a rushing total knowing that the sack yardage goes into that?
0: Oh, of course. That's yeah. a, a vital characteristic of quarterback rushing yardage, And that's like and because of that reason, it's a finicky market the QB rushing yards, you know, cuz it's a very variable situation. And on that point, I, I'll, I'll use this as my example. Caleb Williams, uh, Heisman-winning quarterback mm-hmm. for USC last year, in uh, the last game, like the last game of the season, I want to say, of uh, the regular season, he had in the first half like 90 rushing yards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: His prop total was like 35, something like that. <laughs> and he it was... It was a layup. It was done. <laughs> it was done. And then he went and got hurt. He, he rolled his ankle. It was Tulane. It was the bowl game against Tulane. He rolled his ankle and then proceeded to get, because they were trailing, so they had to throw all the time. He got sacked like five times in the second half for like 70 yards and went actually under his <laughs> rushing total because of that. So wild stuff happens. I try to stick when it comes to QBs. I like trying to target, um, later on in the season, you'll see the books not be up on the depth chart movie. So a good example is Iowa. Uh, two years ago, for the Big Ten Championship, they had Spencer Petras, as well as um, their, ba- their backup, Alex Padilla, were expected to get uh, snaps. Both of them would. And Kirk Ferentz even said, yeah, we're going to see these guys get snaps here. So they went and, you know, uh, draftings went and just lined it at Petras, just for his regular line didn't account for that. Well, let's let's just say I, I put a little <laughs> money back to that particular wager. And anytime you're taking the under on an Iowa quarterback passing yardage, you're probably going to be okay.
1: <laughs> I'm probably going to be okay. How about this? Um... I don't know if you're going to take the under on, you know, uh, Bryce Young passing yardage in games as a rookie, but he might be the number 1 overall pick. Are you at least surprised that the betting market has switched as much as it has from CJ Stroud being a heavy favorite to now Bryce Young being the heavy favorite to go number 1 overall?
0: Oh gosh, you know, this is uh this is really the intrigue of the Palace intrigue of the NFL draft season, which is you see all these wild fluctuations from open to the middle. You know, you'll get a couple weeks in and then right before the draft, just so much movement. And that's a great example because uh, CJ Stroud, when markets opened, he was right around, you know, minus 240 or so. I think that's two, minus 260 at some point um, just a week ago. And here we are. We're literally at, you know, depending on where you're looking at, Bryce Young is at minus 350 to 400. Wow. So that is a giant, giant swing, and uh, certainly value is presented there for Bryce Young.
3: So on that end, Eric, we asked the question that, you know, I don't want to have to ask, but Brian and I were talking about earlier, and maybe it's a fair aspect that the gambling market has officially joined the rumor mill, the Adam Schefter tweets, as things we can't trust with two weeks to go until the draft. Has the betting market now become untrustworthy when trying to read tea leaves, or or do you think it's really trending that way that that Young's going to go one overall?
0: Oh, man, there's always, you know, subterfuge, (laughs) And and faints and misdirections, you know, it it really is an art form at this point for the NFL teams up at the top there. Um, I personally have Bryce Young as my QB1, uh, so I I just believe, like, his intangibles, His ability to feel the rush, um, you know, step up in the pocket. When he's flushed, he buys time, but his eyes are always downfield. Instead of running, when he gets a little bit of distance from the rush, he'll reset his feet keep his eyes downfield, and he makes just off-platform plays time and time again that just belie his size. And you just can't... It's just not something you can quantify. Um, That being said, obviously, you know, C.J. Stroud, in terms of if you can put a wall around him like Ohio State did and just let him distribute and put that ball the way that he can when he is set in the catch window just at a ridiculous rate, that has value, too. So... I do think Bryce Young does go one. He is my number one. But I don't think he's four to one. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that, That's pretty bold. And, and there's some real value to be able to go on the other side because when I wrote my column, I, I wrote this on Monday. You know, we, here we are. We're sitting on Friday. Um, it was only minus 200 just four days, three days ago when I released this for Bryce Young to go. Now we're up to 360. I think we're kind of on the other side of things here. Where what's the point of taking young if you're going to throw a flyer? Throw it at Stroud.
1: He's Eric Froton from NBC Sports joining us here on the Fan. How about this, Eric? Where uh, the guy I'm doing the show with here, Jimmy Cook. Uh, brief background. Great dude. He's a uh, he's 28 years old. He's impressionable. He's at a young age, <laughs> you know. But he he has said he has said here that if CJ Stroud is still on the board. At number three, from a Colts perspective, are you doing everything in your power to move up and get C.J. Stroud?
0: Well, if C.J. Stroud is there at number three, number one, I'm going to be a very excited man because that means that Anthony Richardson went number two. And he's currently 22 to one to go at the number two spot. Wow. i already heavily leveraged in that particular wager. which us just put it that way. And I would advise, you know, those of uh, the listeners here at the fan, maybe you give that a look, you know, at 22 <laughs> to one. But, um, you know, that being said, just a friendly recommendation, uh, I think you really got to, you only have to move down one spot there, you know? It's not going to cost that much. Maybe you give up that third. You know, you got here. And that's a great pick. You don't want to give it up. But, hey, if it means getting D.J. Stroud or Will Levis, I will personally, if I were Jim Irsay, I, I would drive the big bus that he has <laughs> down to Arizona. and I would personally... Give him the assets. Say, how do you? What do you? How can I possibly solidify this for you? Here is the third round pick, served on a silver platter, uh, with all the accoutrements and side dishes, <laughs> make it a four plate meal, and you do that immediately. Because Will, the difference between CJ Stroud and Will Levis it is is a it's a wide chasm, in my opinion.
3: So. Do it. It- so in that same front, then Eric, Eric Proton, nice enough to join us, NBC Sports lead college football analyst, as well as NFL draft analyst there. You can also find him on NBCSportsEdge.com. Brian and I have been debating for weeks the Levis-Richardson conversation. He he, he likes Levis. I like Richardson. You throw Stroud in there, it, it muddies the water completely because now, at least in my mind, like yeah. it, you go and get him. If we take the Stroud, I don't want to...
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
3: I call it a pipe dream anymore, but you take the Stroud option off the board and it's back to the Levis-Richardson conversation. I, I know how I feel about Richardson. If it winds up being Levis for the Colts at four, why should Colts fans... Not be running for the hills.
0: Oh, you're asking me to tell you not to
3: run for the hills. Yes, correct. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, oh, if I'm it's possible.
0: Running, <laughs> yeah, sorry, Um respectfully, I, I will. You know, respectfully, Mister Levitt. Um, let me give you a, a, a my synopsis and just a, a little different point of view of, of how I look at him and, and just where he's coming from. So, in 2021. You know, you got to remember, he he was a Penn State recruit. So he went in there in the same time that their, uh, you know, graduating quarterback who is on nobody's draft board, Sean Clifford, uh, beat him out. You know, and he was the short yardage quarterback there at Penn State. Transfers over to Kentucky. had Joey Gatewood, had a couple other guys there. But he ends up winning it out, and he's the big arm um, QB there. Year one in 2022, his offensive coordinator was Liam Cohen, who uh, Rams... Uh, assistant actually went back to the NFL because he did such a good job at Kentucky, like reforming that offense into being more spread, more potent, uh having a little more explosiveness. It certainly was not a problem for that offense this year, being explosive, let me tell you that. But um when Liam Cohen left, you know, and, and Levis his decision making was better, and that's where a lot of this comes from. You know, is his twenty twenty one tape where he was just much more measured and balanced than he was making better decisions, and just all around, it, it, it looked like a different player. 22 comes around, you know, one year and done for Cohen. In comes Rick Scangarello, who is a 49ers guy. They go back to the NFL to go with the offensive coordinator deal, and it just doesn't work out the same way. It does not go well. Um, Levis, 7-13, to big-time throw to turnover-worthy play ratio. If you watch him across the middle, um, his footwork wasn't nearly what it was in 2021. The decision making was very questionable. He's hanging balls over the middle that you just can't do in the NFL because he's got a big arm and he's trying to make tight window throws that were prohibitive. And when you're when you're trying to make those tight window throws and your mechanics aren't pristine and you're on your toes a little bit and you're you're tall when you're delivering as opposed to you know low, it's going to sail. And that's what you saw a lot of in twenty two. And when you hear. Um, you know, I've heard a few of his interviews, you know, seen a little bit of, of Levis. You start to hear about how he's quote unquote quirky, mm. you know, a little weird. That's not maybe like these are the guys interview him and stuff. And they're like, all right, it's so a mayonnaise and coffee thing, eating, mm-hmm. eating, you know, um, let's just um <laughs> non-ripe, very, very ripe bananas, you know, too ripe bananas, just with, with the peel on like, all right, man. You know, are you, are you leading a, an NFL room? You know, you got to be the alpha here. You're the, you're the quarterback. You're leading everything here. And I think that's what's starting to trickle out. I think that's a concern because he's 24 years old. He's not a kid. Anthony Richardson is not even 21 yet. He's had 13 starts. He's a, a ball of clay that tested better than quarter, any quarterback in the history of the, the combine, including Cam Newton, who is, I mean, a, a god coming out of Auburn after his incredible season. Um, so you throw all that stuff in, and it's like I, I just I want Richardson comfortably over Levis because it's a it's a three year developmental window difference, and I don't see a lot of difference in the mistakes that Anthony Richardson makes from the mistakes that Will Levis makes, and he's three years old.
1: He's Eric Froton from NBC Sports. Um, I'm I'm going to question C.J. Stroud a little bit here. Uh, Eric, and you push back if you want to, but one of the biggest things that concerns me about C.J. Stroud is I keep on hearing about him being more pro-ready than some of these other quarterbacks, and that might be true in terms of what he brings to the table with footwork and mechanics and all that type of stuff, but in terms of the talent he's used to be surrounded by and the talent he will be surrounded by initially – it's night and day. Look at all these first-round wide receivers. You had Garrett Wilson. He was the offensive rookie of the year with the Jets. Chris Olave had over 1,000 yards receiving as rookies in the NFL. Those were his guys two years ago at Ohio State. Then you sprinkle, sprinkle in Jackson Smith and Jigba and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Abuka. And it's been an embarrassment of riches. I'm worried C.J. Stroud is going to look a lot different initially in the NFL if his weapons are nowhere near what he's used to.
0: Absolutely. And those are just his vertical weapons. Forget about the great wall he had in front of him. I mean, sure. Juan Jones on the right side, who is an absolutely mammoth human being. And, you know, Paris Johnson on the other side, who, you know, at 6'6", six, six, 15 is perfectly proportioned. He will likely be the first tackle taken off the board. You know, Thayer Mumford uh, last year. Uh, there's just no shortage of talent. Up and down, Ohio State. A lot of the games, again, I'd say probably eight games a season. He, Stroud is on cruise control because they're just they're just humming. They're putting up forty-five points a game, a game for the past four <laughs> or five years straight. Ohio State. It's just a juggernaut. So there's a very valid uh, concern because of the the just the level of talent relative to who they're playing. It's different in the Big Ten and the SEC. It just is, you know? Um, so that's a very fair point. Um, and like all the all the wide receivers. Sure, yeah, okay. Wilson and, and Olave move on. And, and Smith and Jig was hurt all year. I love the Mech I had him in 11 of my college fantasy football leagues. I have him in all my dynasty leagues, my CTC. I am the number one mark you're going to find for Agbuka. But you're right. Off structure, off platform—the very thing that I know. I can look at Bryce Young and say, I know with confidence that when things break down, that man can make things happen in a way that very few players can. I know he's short; I get it. Man, he can do that. And we really haven't had this, haven't seen extended stretches of Stroud do that consistently over time. We saw it against Georgia. He was phenomenal in that game. I mean, you have, to, you have to give him that. And it was a criticism we had all year long about, can he do this? But he did. And I do think, you know, that has to be said. But I need to see how he handles that rush a little more. I need to see how he, he feels the pressure, has that sixth sense that you see the greats have, and see him being able to reset and deliver strikes on the move. That is going to set apart Stroud. Because he seems conceptually to be on on time, uh, throwing players open pretty well. Can you do it when things break down? Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
3: Eric Froton of NBC Sports taking some time with us. Eric, last question on my end. Um, even though my co-host likes to, to make the joke that I'm still impressionable, I, I would agree with you. Much, much like Will Levis, I am who I am at this point, but but I digress there. Uh, I am a follower, though, for bets. I love good value bets. You already gave us one with the idea of Anthony Richardson uh, potentially going to the Texans at two. What's your favorite first-round wager right now from a value standpoint outside of that one?
0: Yeah, I really like that one. Um, but in terms of the value standpoint, there's a couple... Others, one, I'll say, you know, we'll stick with the QBs. Anthony Richardson is currently minus 150 to go under four and a half, you know, mm. so to go in those first four picks. Now, let me ask you
1: <laughs>
0: guys, as Indianapolis Colts, you know, supporters and, you know, you guys are, if Anthony Richardson was there for you at the fourth pick, would you pass up on him?
3: No.
1: Yes. <laughs> okay, you would. Okay, that's fair. Okay, well,
0: that's if, again, that's if Levis and Richardson are both there, of course, you know, but you also have the three-pick where, if you're Arizona, why aren't you looking? You, they are actively shopping that pick. Um, they, by their own admission, had contact by six teams who have been sniffing around to, to move up. Um, they're not moving up for Will Levis, guys. I'm, I'm pretty confident <laughs> that. I'm going to go out there. Um, but the point is, like, hey, somebody's going to move up to three. And even if they don't take Will Levis, and, well, okay, then Anthony Richardson's there at four. And I think, I think it's got to go. And you got to, I mean, you got to take him You just have to. Um, that being said, if they don't take Anthony Richardson there, I think that that's a sign that the Colts are willing to do one of one or two things. One, you go and take whoever your perceived best player on the board is defensively. You go, you say, I got Quiddy Pay on one side, I got Will Anderson on the other. Let's, let's go to war. Um, and then sort of build that way and wait until next year where, hey, you don't really have a plan right now at QB, and you're going to be taking some L's. That's okay. Will you take enough L's to get Caleb Williams next year? That's Or right. Drake May?
1: Yeah.
0: Because I'd rather have Caleb Williams or Drake May than Anthony Richardson or Will Levis. Yeah. I would. I've seen a lot of those guys. I'm a college fantasy guy. I, I, it's soup to nuts. I see their whole high school to college careers. One hundred percent both of those guys. I don't even have to think twice about it. So I I take you know what? I definitely take Caleb over everybody in this class, and I'd probably take May over Stroud. So um all that talk about all that I love minus one fifty. It's gone down from minus two forty to minus one fifty. I think that's a great line at one and a half one odds. I think
3: Richardson goes in the top four. It's minus one twenty on DraftKings right now. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <Woo>! <laughs> Even better. Even better Love right there. It. Yeah. Hey
1: Eric, great stuff, man. Really appreciate the time and maybe we'll have time we could get you on right before the draft again next week. We'll see how it works out if you're uh, available or not, you know.
0: I'm am av- available for you guys, absolutely. Happy to do it and and sincerely thank you very much for having me on. And best of luck to the Colts. I was at the Jim RSA YMCA at the Combine a few weeks ago. A beautiful facility.
1: <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. We'll catch you soon, Eric. Thanks, Hope you Eric. have a good day, man. Thanks, guys. Bye bye. There he is, Eric Froton, NBC Sports. That was fun.